1: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Wales heartbreak, England tedium, but we'll start with Everton deducted 10 points for breaching the rules. A fair punishment or the Premier League trying to look tough as the regulator looms on the horizon? Everton aren't happy. There were mitigating circumstances and they were compliant. What does that mean for other clubs currently in the dock or at least near the dock? On the pitch, Ellis James has sent us a mini podcast after Rob Page's men didn't turn up in Armenia. Then if you've just about managed to forget every last second of England 2 Malta nil, we'll remind you about it. France score 14, brackets 14. Scotland draw in an entertaining game that didn't matter too much and Kai Havertz plays left back all that plus a new Football Weekly baby your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly on the panel today Paul Watson welcome hello hello Barry Glendenning. hi Max and from the Racing Post Mark Langdon hello Hi, uh, Max. Kim says, instead of a 10 point deduction, should Everton have been forced to re sign Neil Mopay or would that punishment have been too severe? Uh, more sensible questions. Greg says, why was a 10 point punishment and not a fine or a transfer ban enforced as first time offenders for Everton seemed excessive? For what they've done, Richard says, why are so many journals saying Everton's is harsh when they could easily have avoided FFP by just selling Michael Keane rather than offering him a new contract? Isn't FFP just cheating when the impact is obvious? If they'd sold Keane, for example, they may have gone down in 21-22. So Everton deducted 10 points for breaching the Premier League's Profit and Sustainability Rules, PSR, uh, which is the Premier League's version of FFP. This leaves them in the relegation zone on four points. Uh, they were charged and found guilty of one count of breaking the rules, just to compare, we'll get onto that. So the rules require teams not to lose more than £105 over three years, uh, with non-football costs excluded from the calculation. The commission found Everton overreached their allowed losses by £19.5 and concluded this was a serious breach that requires a significant penalty. Um, Everton uh, released a statement saying they're both shocked and disappointed by the ruling of the Premier League's commission. They will appeal.
0: Thoughts, Barry? Well, I think the Premier League were pushing for a 12-point deduction. Uh, Everton got a 10-point deduction, and there seems to be a school of thought that suggests this will go down on appeal. It won't be quashed, but it may go down to six. I don't think it's unnecessarily harsh. I think a lot of Everton fans seem to think they're being picked on, but the fact of the matter is they did break the rules. A lot of it is down to interest payments. They were paying for their new stadium at on the docks, their emergency side, and they, by all accounts, cooperated fully with the investigation, but were found to have experts in who were making the figures look less bad than they actually were, and they've cited extenuating circumstances in that the the Russian invasion of Ukraine inf- affected them because Russian company USM had exclusive naming rights for this as-yet-unbuilt stadium worth £200 million. And that, because of the sanctions imposed on Russia, that evaporated overnight. They cited the COVID pandemic as an extenuating circumstance, but I'm not sure that washes because everyone was affected by the COVID pandemic, all football clubs. And then there was the case of a player who, through no fault of the club's own, couldn't play for a season and had no sell-on value, and they had to let his contract run down before he was let go. So, the punishment, it's harsh, and it may be the Premier League setting a precedent, but this was reached as the Premier League have made abundantly clear by an independent tribunal, and... uh yeah, everyone's now waiting to see what will happen. To other clubs whose uh, finances are being inspected. Mm.
1: Um, it, in in pure footballing terms, Paul feels like quite a good season for a points deduction.
2: There's <laughs> never a good time for a points deduction. No, if there, if there yes. was, if there was, <laughs> I, I don't know. It feels it feels it feels very Everton, doesn't it? They finally pull themselves, you know, up to mid-table, get themselves out of trouble, and then they're pushed straight back down but yeah I think they'll I think they'll be fine I think they'll stay up um I think there's more than enough rubbish at the bottom there to to keep them afloat so in a way take the hit now get the punishment paid uh, and move on but it it has a slight feeling of you know when the the police get a mafia boss but he's obviously a middle like a kind of nobody they they take down someone and they parade him but there's this unspoken that there's like much bigger fish that they've not got so it's a bit like that isn't it it's like Great, you got Everton, but we all know there's more business to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can imagine Sean Dyche getting a real, you know, that I was chatting to Sam Avery, the comedian and an Everton fan on the radio the other day, and he was like, God, I want the next game to be like now because the atmosphere will be, it will be febrile, it'll be quite amazing, Goodison. I think they've got Man United at home in their next game, I like think it's Super Sunday, and it will be like it will be rocking that you know I mean until obviously Everton concede after 10 minutes and then it will all start booing again but like that will be quite amazing do you think Mark there's any strength Everton fans saying look you know six clubs tried to leave this league a couple of years ago and they didn't get any punishment like is there any merit in in that argument or not really
3: I mean it's quite it's quite a different kind of case or mm. cases in that regard and you know who's I mean, I, I don't think we quite knew kind of what that actually meant. They might actually have stayed in the league, but played a reserve team or youth team or whatever in, in Premier League, which, um, you know, I, I think the Super League cl- uh, sort of breakaway six could have been sort of punished harsher. But, um, you know, we, we often say, like, what about Tree, don't we, on, on this pod? And I think we, you know, if you just look at the Everton case in isolation, I think it's very difficult to know where the right point penalty is. I do think that, um, like fines don't actually wash, and um, if you kind of, uh, you, we're looking at it from Everton's point of view here. But if you were to change it around and look at one of those teams that went down instead of Everton, maybe they, you know, because they stayed in the rules, they didn't have one player that that could have made um the difference for them. And look, I, I think it's really harsh on on Everton supporters because um, and we've said this before about other owners, you you very rarely you get the opportunity to to kind of you know, pick your owners, and and they very much picked the club. And actually, it was their fans that were raising the point of how bad the owners were probably long before anybody else um, was, and um, now they're arguing sort of a, a different case. So I do feel sorry for the supporters, but I don't think that this is completely kind of um, you know, the, the first time, I mean, you only got to look at the EFL to see, you know, there are a lot of teams that have suffered point deductions that have taken them, you know, down the leagues and and, and their clubs are in, in crisis. There are other leagues in Europe where teams have had point deductions for various things. We've seen teams kicked out of Europe for not meeting UEFA sort of financial fair play. So I don't think this it, is completely on its own, albeit it's the first time. Um, you know, in, in terms of Premier League. I remember, um, as a Spurs fan, I remember when they got the 12-point deduction and kicked out of the FA Cup back in the, the mid-90s. It was absolutely devastating. More at the FA Cup than the, the points at the time. It shows kind of how um, feelings towards that competition have, have maybe changed. But um, And I, I was very angry. Um, I think it was the Premier League or the FA at, at the time. So I do get Everton's anger. But just looking at it... Um, you know, with, without um, any passion towards it, some of the arguments seemed um, flimsy. I think from from Everton's point of view. I
0: suppose one thing Everton fans could point to with some justification is the fact that Portsmouth went into administration years ago, and they only got a nine point deduction. You know, and them going into administration affected a lot of people. Obviously, you know, loads of people lost their jobs at the club and whatnot. So, yeah, I I reckon this this appeal it won't be overturned I imagine, but it may the number of points may be reduced.
1: Hmm. Um there's going to be an impact on the takeover. There are built-in clauses relating to the purchases of a club it means the price of the sale will drop if the charges are upheld, which they they have been the takeover by 777 partners. That's a that's a different podcast or a different Josimara article if you want to learn about 777. Uh, I
0: I think if the <laughs> the takeover by 777 might be affected that, that could be a good benefit mm. for Everton. Possible. Yes. Uh, and of course
1: those three relegated clubs are looking into trying to get compensation as well, aren't they, from Everton. It feels like a lot at some point I guess you have to let things go, don't you? That's sort of how I feel. I I think I don't know. I'm not one of those clubs who were relegated, right? Um Uh, Another bit of Everton's statement said the club will also monitor with great interest the decision made in any other cases concerning the Premier League's profit and sustainability rules. Fraser said, should Lord Panic be starting to panic now? I can imagine him sat in a hyperbaric chamber in a dark room in his mansion, ready to leap into action any day, cometh the hour, cometh the panic. Yes, Paul, um, Man City have been charged with more than 100 alleged breaches of the rules. Uh, are yet to have a verdict amid legal wrangling on both sides. City have denied wrongdoing. Chelsea are under investigation for alleged breaches relating to the era of Roman Abramovich's ownership. There's lots of idle speculation. Paul, are these the same? Are they different? Do you know?
2: <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't know. I, I have. Look, I'm I'm totally neutral. Uh, I've made it very clear. I'm a Bristol City fan. I have no problem with Man City um, personally. I don't have a bias in this. But I do think, as a as a neutral, I would love to see them relegated to Step 22, as I think is, is basically what clearly has to happen, um, but mostly just so I can coach them. That, that's, yes. that's, my, uh, that's my ambition. Bring them back. In fact, it'd be the ultimate sort of football manager save, wouldn't it? Yeah. Bring back Man City from Step 22
1: all the way back up to glory. So If, um, if of course, they are found guilty of any of these charges. Yes. If, um, and
2: in fact, I'm listening out in case there are lawyers at my door already. So yeah, uh, just
1: for yeah. saying that, yeah. I, I mean, actually, Mark, are there direct comparisons to be made with these cases or, or not?
3: I think until we've seen sort of the full evidence and, and report, it's very it's difficult to know, isn't it? Really, I think a lot of the, a lot, a lot of cities, I think is slightly different. There's 115 charges to go through, um, so you know th- there's been a, a push in more recent times to speed up the, the process and. That was something that the Premier League teams all agreed to, including Everton. So, yeah, I mean, if, if City are found guilty, then they should have the, the book thrown at them. And as has been pointed out previously, you know, if they were to be relegated, for instance, the EFL, um, there's no obligation for them to take them into their league. So, as Paul's saying, you know, it might be, uh, it, it, you know, relegation might mean um, sort of National League or or below. But... I think it's difficult to compare the two until we've sort of seen all of the evidence, which we haven't seen um, in terms of, you know, in, in City's case. So I, I certainly haven't gone through the 115. I don't know if you have, Max. <laughs> well, I think
0: City are being charged... Some of the offences they're being charged with relate to outright deceit and dishonesty, which makes it different to the Everton case. And they've also been charged with obfuscation non-cooperation with the investigation whatnot. so if they are found guilty one suspects their punishment would be a lot greater a lot more severe than a 10 point deduction
1: we shall see um, probably in about 25 years time uh, yeah. and that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that'll do for part one part two we'll go on the pitch if that's okay with everyone Uh, welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Look, we're midway through the tour. Dublin tonight, tomorrow Brighton on Wednesday. No tickets available, but the live stream. Uh, we'd love you to come uh, anywhere on earth. Um, you know, Paul and Mark were both in Bristol. I'm sure they can vouch for that. It would be. I mean, they didn't pay it's but it's money well spent. But like, to be clear, they didn't. You know, they didn't pay to to <laughs> to do the show. That seems harsh. So look, come. Uh, on Wednesday, and you can, it's available on catch up as well. So go to slash fwtour23 musical numbers, um, Barry's holiday slideshow, amongst other things, uh, that you will see if you do that. Uh, James says, Does time seem to slow down during an international break, or is it just me? I think it's, I was thinking about this the other day. So, just about getting fit, you can't just be fit. That's the tournament, is being fit. You actually have to run and do exercise, and that's what international breaks are. Uh, let's start with. Uh, Wales is draw in Armenia. Reese says, is Ellis okay? It's been a shit few days. I'm still deluding myself into thinking we'll qualify on Tuesday. Croatia must be tired by now. Ellis has sent us basically a podcast, and here it is.
4: <sighs> Sunday night. It's about 25 to 1 in the morning. I've just yeah. had three balls of crunching at cornflakes and a bottle of Star of Pram and Max, I'm at a low ebb. That was a negative. Okay. And right now, <laughs> I need two positives, Max. We're, uh, Armenia won, Wales one To fill the listeners in, especially the non-Welsh listeners, had we beaten Armenia on Saturday afternoon, uh, that would have left it open then for us to qualify outright By beating Turkey on Tuesday night. It is out of our hands now. We need Armenia to take points off Croatia um, away. Uh, That game is in Croatia. And for us to beat Turkey in Cardiff to qualify automatically. If that doesn't happen, um, which I think is pretty unlikely, it's the playoffs for us. The playoffs fill me with dread because obviously we've lost our... You know, generational, once in a lifetime uh, match winner in Gareth Bale. Uh, Let's talk about the game. Uh, It ended 1 all. Uh, Armenia could still qualify um, automatically if they'd won. So, so you're in a similar position to us, which meant there was like a sort of basketball match. They scored up to five minutes, which meant that our game plan was thrown out the window. In defense of Rob Page, and Rob Page obviously divides opinion. And yes, of course. The World Cup was a shambles. And yes, of course, there have have been times, I think, when he's been tactically naive. But we were genuinely brilliant against Croatia um, in Cardiff in October. And I suppose whether you think that he um, worked out a first 11 that seemed to work or stumbled upon it, I suppose is how charitable you feel towards Rob Page. I just think that the game in October against Croatia in Cardiff, he just had found a balance and a formation, sort of gone back to five at the back, which is how we've traditionally played for years, with young Jordan James, what a player he is, and Ethan Ampadu, who I could talk about forever because I think Ethan is a great player, in a sort of double pivot. And then you've got Brooks and Moore and uh, Harry Wilson up front because... And Ramsey was injured for that fixture, just like he was injured uh, for us on Saturday. We really missed him, incidentally. I said it was like a basketball match. His experience and cool head, I think, would have really sorted us out if he'd been playing. But never mind. Uh, You can't change that. In fairness to Rob Page, he he selected the same 11. He started the same 11, which is what 99% of our supporters would have liked him to have done. And there's some big calls there, like he left out Brennan Johnson, he left out Dan James. Brennan Johnson in particular, you know, you would think, well, you've got to find room for him. But he didn't, so Brennan was a sub. Uh, He came on, he didn't do a huge amount. In defence of Rob Page, most of our players, or a a significant amount of our players, aren't playing uh, regularly at club level. And that really, really showed. Kiefer Moore is a good example. I think he's had 14 minutes since that Croatia game for his club. And just there was just sloppiness all round. But he's, Page is kind of damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Because if he selects, I don't know, Nathan Broadhead, for instance, who has played regularly for his club, ahead of one of the players who did so well against Croatia in October, and that doesn't come off, then obviously he would get criticised for that. So I think he was in quite a difficult position. But either way, (laughs) Armenia have got a player called Zellerayan, who is now in the Saudi league. We make him look like Stoichkov and Haji rolled into one. We were unable to cope with him in June. We were unable to cope with him on Saturday. I think Armenia are... to us, a bit like what we were to Belgium for years and years. we They have just got our number and we cannot beat them. It is, however, a really, really daft group. So if you look at the fixtures or if you look at the results, you know, Turkey drew with Armenia at home. Turkey qualified um, for the Euros with a game to spare. You know, Latvia beat Armenia. We beat Croatia. It's, It's, it's been tight and it's been silly and everyone's taken points off each other. You know, should we win against Turkey and Armenia, uh, take points off um, Croatia, we were qualify via the head-to-head because we drew with Croatia up there and then beat them in Cardiff, which, you know, I don't think anyone saw coming. So, yeah, we need to... Uh, I decided... I, I just went for a, a bike ride to unwind because this result has really upset me. <laughs> uh, I'm going to turn up on Tuesday. And I'm going to have a few pints with my mate, so I always go with. And we have to go for it as if we, we can qualify. So we've got to try and win the game and then hope that it's lucky for us elsewhere. That's the only mind frame or mindset you can have going into this match. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. We've been in sticky situations in this. Uh One thing I will say, though, is that there were news reports over the weekend because 32 Welsh fans got nicked out in Armenia. I know a few of them and they are the least likely hooligans you will ever meet in your life. Proper latte-sipping guardianistas. And they were just walking back to the hotel. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were just walking back to the hotel. They got bundled into a van. They weren't told why they were being arrested. They weren't charged with anything. They were held... Overnight, they weren't given food to eat or uh, water to drink. They were treated really badly and then just released without charges if nothing had happened. So I don't want anyone to be misled by those headlines because I do a lot of wheels away and we like a drink and uh, we're noisy, but we're not dicks. And I think that the people who got nicked were just in the wrong place in the wrong time. And I... um. you know, I don't know all 32, but I know I know quite a few, and they are the least likely hooligans you can imagine. So uh, that was a real shame. And but anyway, we move on. Uh, we move on to Tuesday. Fingers crossed, we can get a winning in Cardiff, there seems to be such disparity between our performances at home and away, thankfully we are at home against Turkey. You know, um, which makes me. Slightly more confident, not that I'm very confident, but who, who knows? Football is a daft game. I don't know what first 11 he's going to play. Obviously, he'll have to bring in Lockyer, you'd imagine, for Chris Meppham because Chris Meppham uh, is suspended because
1: he got booked on Saturday. Oh, God. Uh, thank you, Ellis. That was quite long, so I'm going to move on to England, if that's all right. I hope you didn't have any (laughs) majorly hot takes uh, on that Wales-Armenia game, because uh, Ellis has done it all for us. Uh, Matt says, is Barry less concerned about the Euros having seen that England performance? Yes, England 2, Malta 0.
0: Oh, that was a hard watch, Baz. Yeah, it was a pretty grim game uh, with nothing really riding on it. And yet, uh, there were, you know, capacity Wembley crowd at it, uh, which just shows how popular... The England team are at the moment. Uh, I I think England have an excellent chance of winning uh, the Euros. I think the one thing, I, I'm not a Gareth Southgate fan. I think I've made that clear. I see Johnson Wilson wrote that article yesterday in which he more or less decried Southgate sceptics as morons, and that's fine. <laughs> He could have just sent it to you, couldn't he? He didn't need yeah. to write it in a paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's fine. But he kind of made my argument for me in, in his piece. Uh, my, my, I, I am aware, as he says, that Southgate is the most successful England manager since Alf Ramsey. I'm aware that he got England to uh, a final and a semi-final. But my problem with him is the manner in which he lost that semi-final and that final when England were on top in both games, should have won and didn't. That is my problem with Gareth Southgate. He's too cautious at those times. His in-game management is, I think, incredibly suspect. So that that is my problem with with Southgate, and I think that could, you know, be a problem again. But I would give England every chance of winning the Euros. The only team I can see in Europe that is better than is probably France. But the best teams don't always win tournaments. I feel like I've heard you say those <laughs> I have, so I many have. times.
1: Okay. <laughs> I understand if people forward wound through yeah, those.
0: those I, so those, do I, but, absolutely.
3: But, those
1: two minutes, Mark?
3: Gee, well, Jonathan Wilson sort of had the same thing with various managers, hasn't he? Yeah, that's true. It's not just um, Barry.
1: Um there was lots of frothing at the mouth, Mark. At this game,
3: does it matter? Or it that doesn't because matter because it's the only
1: game in town, right? So we're all watching it, and all we've got a fill air time talking yeah, about it. it. It
3: doesn't matter. Obviously, you know, if you spend your money to go to that game, you uh, presumably you're hoping, you know, to see the stars, and you know, you might maybe don't always get to watch them at kind of Premier League level, and this was an opportunity to do that. But it's a completely different game. There's no jeopardy on it you know, they probably the England players probably woke up knowing that they were going to win the game. It was a case of how many they were going to win by that. I don't think, you know, if you're an elite sports person, that that's that's probably not a great way to to enter um sort of, you know, a match day. They went through the motions. They'd scored after seven or eight minutes. So it, it was just a case of just waiting for um the next goal to come. There were no injuries and you know it'd be a boring thing to, to kind of Go on about, but you know, if you're an England player, surely you are thinking about Premier League or Bundesliga or La Liga, in you know whatever league you're you're playing in. Champions League's coming back on this international break. Vinicius ruled out two and a half months playing for Brazil. Gavi um, did his ACL last night, out for several months. You know the um, the 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 kind of demands on players have have never been greater. Um, The the rewards have never been higher, Um, but. Just because you're rich doesn't mean that you can avoid these injuries. Um, so I, I think being sensible and you know just thinking about the rest of the season—it's a long season coming up. So do you really need to be charging around against mortar when you've already qualified? Of course you don't. Um, you know I, I I understand completely why he uh, Gareth Southgate had a look at Tamori at left back rather than say bring in um, a younger player and, and stuck him there because. In a sort of tournament situation, maybe um, you know Tamori's in the squad, and you know you, you're not going to take sort of four or five left backs. So if if the two left backs get injured, there's something you know Trippier gets suspended or whatever, you need to just be able to see if if somebody else can can do a job there. I and mean, it was just a time to to see a couple of different things. Um, Dion Dublin made me laugh in, in commentary when uh, Harry Maguire played a, a pass out of the back that was intercepted. And he was saying, you've Got to show more respect to, to Malta. You, you, you know, you can't just play those risky passes. And later on in the half, he's clearly completely frustrated with what England has served up and said, you know, No disrespect to Malta, but we've got to be beating these by more." <laughs> <laughs> Which one is it, Dion? You know, do we showing no respect or are we not? But look, uh, th- this happens sort of during England's qualifying campaigns and I think overall, you know, the, the qualifying was done when England won in Italy, um, you know, was on the first match day and since then, um, you know, it's been a stroll for them and the fact that we've got so many teams going to the Euros means there isn't much jeopardy in in many of these games. I know Ellis is, is feeling it at, at the moment but Um, yeah, this was done ages ago. So I I can't, I'm not getting, I think there are legitimate reasons to stick the boot into Gareth Southgate going back to, say, the Euros final against Italy. But I can't get overworked up by, you know, just beating more to two now.
1: Uh, Paul, Harry Kane was booked for diving. I mean, it seems harsh. He's not, he's not that kind of player, is he?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I, I couldn't believe it either. I mean, it, yeah, it, that is a little bit, um, embarrassing isn't it against Malta I, I think the thing, that, the thing that I wanted to flag up about Malta is I think people do have a slightly unrealistic expectation of how bad Malta are so um, there's obviously a spectrum of teams across Europe and Malta are very much in the lower end but they're not a team you beat 8-0, 9-0 you know they're a team, the, the, the general sort of possibility is you can beat them 2-0, you can beat them 4-0, if you have a really good day you might beat them 5-0 but I think realistically 2-0 was fine and I think people are still looking at them as if you know, this isn't. This is a pretty organised team. Italian boss um, Marcolini's got them set up pretty well. Like two nil was was pretty much the lower end of expectation. But honestly, you know, if you don't if you don't want to watch these games, then by all means don't watch them. But they're not going to be goal fests.
1: Not this one. Hmm. Um, I mean, Hurricane probably was fouled. I thought it was strange that VAR overturned it, but perhaps you know, he's probably got away with the odd dive in his career. I think it's fair to say. England are in North Macedonia tonight. Thank God we're on stage in Dublin and we we don't have to watch it. We found something else to do. Kieran says, if this is the end of Stephen Kenny's reign as Republic of Ireland manager, as expected, how would Baz sum it up and who would be his ideal successor? They lost at 1-0 in the Netherlands. Bout Weghorst with the goal.
0: Um, Yeah, and it was Val Veghorst running onto to a true ball and finishing, spanking the ball into the top corner near post. Not not the a goal you see Vout Veghorst score very often. I expect this is the end of the Stephen Kenny regime and it's been an absolute disaster. Ireland, well, you know, they were in a really tough group. France, Netherlands, Greece, they lost all six games they played against them. Stephen Kenny keeps saying they're really close and these games are... Decided by you know little margins, but you know if you're losing six the six games against the the teams you're trying to qualify against, um, that, you know that's just not good enough. He has brought through a lot of young players. That's the only thing, but they're not playing particularly well. And very, I'd be astonished if his contract is renewed. And I've no idea who they will get in next. Lee Carsley is one name that's been bandied about. He's manager of England under twenty one, so if he gets the job, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. But... um you don't want Big Mick or Roy Keane or Mick and Roy together? Uh, well, I know Martin <laughs> O'Neill, I think, is quite bitter about the manner in which he... he uh, well, his time in charge, so maybe he deserves another chance. But, yeah, it's, it's really disappointing. I wasn't expecting to qualify, but just to... I I thought we'd go out with not not a bang, but certainly not a whimper like we have done. There was this loophole,
1: um, which meant the Republic of Ireland needed to lose to the Netherlands. But sadly, even that is no good anymore as they've fallen behind Bosnia and Herzegovina, Finland, Georgia, Greece, Israel, Luxembourg and Poland, who are confirmed in playoff spots, and Croatia, Italy, Kazakhstan and Ukraine, who are assured at least a playoff spot uh, via their Nations League ranking. Uh, The Netherlands only need a point from their final game in this group against Gibraltar which, I mean, maybe Gibraltar will bounce back. You know, sometimes the worst time to play a team is after, uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> after a, a bad defeat. Alan says, is scoring 14 goals in a game rude? To be honest, I started to get offended after 11 and I'm not from Gibraltar. And Capanosti says, isn't it fun to see a minnow get a proper old school shellacking? Yes, France was 7-0 up at time. And seven 0 at half time is never fourteen nil at full time. So hats off to France, uh, I say. Uh, where do you stand, Paul, as the uh, as the minnow representative? I've got to admit, I I did quite enjoy it. I feel quite sorry for Gibraltar. Um, this is where
2: this is where it sounds a bit funny to say it, but Gibraltar are just not picking a lot of their best players. So it's actually the coach has got to go. I think there's a lot of pressure on Julio Ribas there. The FA generally is not running things well. So while Gibraltar would have got pretty badly beaten I think by any France team I think going down to 10 men early on and having a pretty weak Gibraltar team out there it was just not even (laughs) not even fair
1: why is he Uh, not picking his best player I mean it seems silly
2: politics he's picking a lot of the older guard he's clinging on to a lot of players that are basically past their best and there are some really talented young Gibraltarian players out there so yeah I, I hope they'll get themselves together but yeah, I, I think that seven nil team talk when you're going in at half time seven nil down to France. I think if you, my team talk would be the sound of me starting the bus up. I think yeah, <laughs> when you think a forfeit is only three nil, isn't it? So, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Mbappe, uh, his third goal was lovely for his hat trick, uh, a delightful chip over presumably quite a disconsolate Gibraltar. Be <laughs> my my feelings about this uh, three hundred career goals from Mbappe. Uh, Olivier Giroud got a couple. Warren Zaire Emery is twenty years younger than Giroud. He actually got injured, didn't he? Which is a shame. But uh, because he became, he became the youngest player to debut for France in over a hundred years at seventeen years, eight months, and ten days. Um, uh, so well done to him. Uh, Scotland drew two two in Georgia on Thursday night, followed up with a three all draw at um, home to Norway. They equalised twice, took the lead with Stuart Armstrong goal. Mohamed El-Yanousi equalised late on for Norway, uh, who don't qualify, so no Erdegaard, no Haaland at the Euros. I mean, it mattered a tiny bit, Mark, didn't it, in terms of what pot they go into. But, you know, they still got T-shirts and saying, we're off to Germany. and It's been a, a brilliant campaign for them.
3: Yeah, um, so that was probably the only, um, I suppose, disappointing aspect of the campaign. They could have finished in, in pot two, but um, not to be. So pot three um, for Scotland, but um, it's been a fantastic Sort of group stage um, for them. Um, yeah, it wasn't, and then we were speaking earlier there about Ireland and, you know, they had a tough draw. I don't think this was a particularly pleasant one um, for, for Scotland. Georgia, probably a dangerous side, sort of in, in terms of kind of below um, sort of Scotland in, in the seedings. Norway, as you mentioned there, have got some um, top players, maybe not put it all together. And then Spain, um, you know, one of the best teams in Europe. So um, for Scotland to have, have done it so well um, in such style um, as well is testament to the work that Steve Clark has has done Um, in these games obviously it didn't matter and so I think they did sort of relax um, somewhat and um, you know that that maybe played out in terms of the, the final scores but you know a lot of jokes about sort of Scotland not being able to to qualify um, in in terms of once they get to a major final. So uh, I think you know, obviously draw depending, but they've they've got a really good chance. I think of, of making the not knockout stages when you look at kind of those pot two teams around Europe and um, yeah, good luck to them. I think that Steve Clark has done what Stephen Kenny's been unable to do. Now he has got better players for sure, but there is a a spirit there that kind of I, I think is what you need at international level. You need to um you know be able to get your best players to want to turn up um regularly. Um, you know, that feels like half the battle. Um and you, you look at somebody like John McGinn now, who is turning in sort of excellent performances, Premier League and internationally. And yeah, you know, I, I just really like the way that Scotland are playing football. They've had their sort of downs I suppose in terms of the international friendlies they were beaten by England weren't they and also France which maybe shows their limitations but um, just look at their squad list managers good um, yeah I'm um, sort of encouraged about sort of what they might be able to do in Germany I don't think they're just turning up you know, to have a drink three games and go home I think, I think there's more to Scotland than that
1: Dark horses perhaps alright that'll do for uh, part two part three we'll rattle through the rest of the Euro qualifying groups and do any other business Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, so Group E, then Albania, have qualified for just the second time in their history. Uh, they drew in Moldova on Friday. Czech Republic drew at Poland. Uh, so that means Poland miss out on automatic qualification. Um, Albania, Paul. Dark Horses? Well, yeah, there, it's actually a really interesting story around Albania. So their, their manager, Silvino, has done a brilliant job. There's this
2: beautiful footage of him running the length of the sideline, like quite aggressively high-fiving fans. Like some of those high-fives, I thought, if they're not stopped, this is a broken nose, like he's <laughs> going mental. But quite amazing what Albania have done is, I think they've got this, um, this hero who's in the back room who no one really knows about, who went through databases and made a database for the first time of Albanian players, players that were were like eligible for selection, and like really like dug deep into like player heritage. They never had a database like this. I think some of the players that are really like lighting up the qualification, helped them through, were players that he unearthed who actually could qualify to play for Albania, who just for whatever reason had not done so. So it's kind of a moneyball style thing, you know. I think there's there's kind of a te- an analyst in the background who's who's yeah done this incredible job. But lo- lovely to see him playing like that. it's, it's yeah it's brilliant.
1: Uh, Belgium uh, uh, beat Azerbaijan 5-0 yesterday, four goals in 20 minutes for Romelu Lukaku, uh, 83 for his country, seventh on the list of top scorers uh, for Belgium, because they've had some some big scorers, who's up there, Enzo Schifo, I don't know, uh, oh sorry, Seventh on the list of top scorers in the world. Yeah, I was thinking that for a second. Okay, that, that changes things. <laughs> so who are these Belgians just rattling them home?
0: <laughs> I haven't noticed.
1: Uh, they're through with Austria, um, uh, Hungary, uh, and uh, uh, through with Serbia as well. Serbia, it's been a long time for them, hasn't it? For the Serbians. So uh, nice to see them in there. I mean, Mark, Paul, or Barry, stop me if you have anything interesting to say about this. Well, guys. just
3: um, Shaboshlai scored an absolute wonder goal for, um, for Hungary in there. Uh, qualification then was um, seen drinking um, with, with with the supporters after the game, doing a shot of um, of, of something that sort of made him wince as he uh, as he downed it. But he's he's been great for Liverpool so far. Um, you know, fantastic for Hungary um, as well. And yeah, he's individual goal. I mean, I think. So often we you know we sort of associate uh, Sobotla with thunderbolts really, but this was individual goal taking on players and, and finishing beautifully. So, um, yeah, he's um he's sort of playing himself in in great nick for the rest of the year. And I believe so. Hungary got twelve game unbeaten run now,
2: which I think is the longest in world football. Now that uh Argentina's is gone, and um I think it starts from the moment they made him captain, doesn't it? I think he's every game that he's captain Sobotla. Uh, they've won. Or not one, but they haven't lost. So that's yeah. a pretty impressive impact, I
3: think. Dark horses, Max.
1: Okay, they're dark horses, <laughs> right? Um, Denmark sealed their qualification. Big game tonight between Slovenia and Kazakhstan. Uh, winner takes all, or draw for Slovenia takes all. What can the Kazakhs do, Paul?
2: Uh, I think it's a step too far for them, but it's been an incredible campaign. I think I mentioned before, like they actually only came over from AFC to UEFA relatively recently, and no one gave them a hope in this campaign. In fact, before this campaign, talking to San Marino fans, they thought Kazakhstan was the game they could win out of all of them. Uh, Didn't turn out that way. Although they did score. San Marino did score. Twice in two games now yes,
1: they've scored. Twice in two games, that's um, huge, isn't
2: it? First time since two thousand and five they've scored in back to back games. But yeah, Kazakhstan. Uh, I think it's a step too far for them, but they'll they'll play off. I think
1: uh, a hot streak for the San Marinoese. San Marinoese is that? How would I say San Marinese, I think San Marinese, Mar- Yeah, San Remain um, Group I uh, group was settled on Saturday. Romania beat Israel two one. Switzerland drew one all with Kosovo. They play each other tomorrow night to decide who wins the group. Uh, Portugal smashed Group J. Um, they might even just be horses for the tournament behind uh, uh, England and France in the uh, uh, the favourite. Slovakia through as well. Jim says, can Luxembourg go again? Or was this their best chance? Uh, so sad for Luxembourg, Paul. Every time you gave them hope, it was your fault.
2: There's a, there's a moment, there's a one moment that will haunt them forever, I think. And it's, um, it's their player who, top scorer, national top scorer, Jason Rodriguez, brilliant player, has an open goal miss against Iceland in the game that finished one all, And I think that basically will go back as the moment they lost it because um, they've been absolutely sensational in this campaign. And um, yeah, who would have thought we got to a point where Luxembourg were this close? But I, I think the playoffs will be tough for them now. Um, and it's such a shame because I know growing up, if you'd said Luxembourg would qualify for a year, I'd have thought you'd gone absolutely mental. But um, they have been sensational except for losing 9-0 to Portugal. <laughs> except when they lost 9-0 to Portugal and, and their, coach, their coach left at 8-0. <laughs> oh,
1: brilliant. Really good. Um, uh, elsewhere, uh, Eugenio Nagelsmann's first defeat as Germany manager, 3-2 to Turkey. At home in a friendly, I mean, obviously, lots of Turks live in Germany. It was like like it was basically a home game for Turkey. And Kai Havertz playing left back, Barry. We finally, you know, it's like players just go. You know, you stars, we all stars a centre forward, go to centre mid, and then you end up back there. Kind of maybe this is his calling. Um,
0: yeah, it seems to have prompted a lot of head scratching. I I was certainly bemused when I heard about it, and it. Didn't work, obviously. So, uh, who knows? He might start the next one in goal uh, <laughs> when come the Euros. Could he do a job in goal? We don't know. He'd be quite
1: a he'd be quite a relaxed goalkeeper. I quite like to. quite liked He did score, didn't he? I think after five minutes. So, like initially, it was like, wow, this is absolute. This is wonderful. But then, uh, you know, Turkey did win, Mark.
3: Yeah, they, they did. I mean, uh, Nagelsmann said afterwards that Havertz was one of Germany's best players, um, and that. This is not just a one-game experiment. He thinks he, he can do it. I would love to see him displace Manuel Neuer in goal. I'm sure Neuer would be really chilled out about that. <laughs> I mean, he, he feels like that sort of character. Um yeah, I mean it's a time for experimentation um for, for Germany. I know Lofer Mateus, who is kind of the renter quote in, in Germany, you know, Harry Redknapp gets to call kind of every two minutes in, in England. It's always Lofer Mateus. He wasn't happy with with how Um, sort of Havertz displaced around the the usual um, left back and felt it was sort of disrespectful but I think if you're Nagelsmann you haven't got that many games now until the Euros you need to um, try um, some things but the the problem for Germany is the same one that Bayern Munich have got in that they just haven't got that defensive midfielder um, so they're conceding too many goals and Joshua Kimmich um, insists that he can play as that defensive midfielder but um, the stats maybe suggest that he needs somebody alongside him that is more of, you know, a sitter, more of a Didier Deschamps style than, than what they've currently got. And um yeah, until they sort out that defence, very difficult to see a team win um sort of international tournament being that bad defensively.
1: I mean Lota Bateas could stop talking and start playing, couldn't
0: he? There you go. Um, I, I suppose in the discussion about dark horses, the perennial dark horses that are Turkey have to were mentioned in that dark horse category.
1: Yes, you've stolen. I've written our Turkey Dark Horses. In, in oh, sorry. Of course. No, don't apologise. You're absolutely right to bring it up. Um, I mean, uh, they did qualify well in, in Wales's group, didn't they, Mark?
3: They did, yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously Croatia have had not a vintage campaign and it might turn out to not have been the, the strongest of groups, but certainly I, I think Turkey are... Um, I I don't want to big them up too much I think I was one of those that fell for them um, in in the last Euro so I tried to be calm about their chances but I think ultimately um, despite the fact we spent nearly an hour discussing the qualifying really doesn't matter once you get there it's a completely different um, tournament you play against teams of a different level um, to what you're playing in sort of these round robin stage usually and um, you know we've seen before Turkey not be good enough and not be able to handle that environment. So, uh, you know, until they do that, I think it's, it's difficult to put too much trust in them.
1: Um, outside of Europe, Australia are due to play Palestine tomorrow uh, in a World Cup qualifier in Kuwait. Uh, they drew nil-nil with Lebanon on Thursday. The Socceroos will donate to humanitarian efforts in Gaza. The game was only moved last week um, to a new venue due to safety concerns. It was going to be played in Ramallah in the West Bank. The last time Palestine played at home was against Saudi Arabia in 2019. Uh, the pledge from the Socceroos was confirmed by the Guardian on Friday. Uh, includes a match donation from Football Australia. It'll be provided to Oxfam through the PFA Footballers Trust. Um, Horatio says, I'm writing to ask that you please speak about how Messi and Depaul both grabbed Napoli's Oliveira by the throat in the World Cup qualifier after Depaul instigated a fight with Uruguay. Messi threw an elbow at Oliveira I'm admittedly biased as a Uruguayan, but have always been a messy fan. But not one journalist has criticised this. If Suarez did it, he would have been banned for life by FIFA. Instead, they dismiss it because it's a different player. Ugarte gestured to DePaul uh, that he was... Um, Pleasuring Messi, I will say. Depaul also injured Maxi Araujo and was awarded a foul in his favour, like a, in a rugby-like tackle. The ref was visibly aggressive towards Uruguay from the start of the match. Disgrace that two players are allowed to choke a guy. Argentina showed how poor losers they really are. I mean, Uruguay won two nil. Um, I don't know if anyone is completely across uh, what happened, Mark. I mean, I,
3: well, I just. I mean, this is what you want. This is what everybody wants from South American qualifying. You, you, you know, the, it's very difficult now the way that the tournament's been extended for teams not to um qualify. Um it used to be the most competitive sort of section going, now um so many spaces that um you know, it'd be difficult not to reach the next World Cup. So um you wanna see kind of proper South American action, I suppose. And this was was definitely that. Um beautifully described there what happened with the Ugarte. Um and I think that did in some way instigate what followed. So um the, the good news for Uruguay is that Bielsa seems to be working his magic on, on that team um, and um, that can only be good, I, I think, uh, You know, for the World Cup um, with, with Uruguay there.
1: Uh, nice to see Luis Diaz's father celebrating the stands when Luis, Luis Diaz scored uh, in Colombia's 2-0 win of, over Brazil uh, in a World Cup qualifier on Friday. There was news that Liverpool had flown Luis Diaz uh, to the UK for Christmas. I was thinking, guys, it's, it's only mid-November, guys. I mean, that is a long... <laughs> you know, you want your parents there for Christmas, but you know, let's let's get them there. You know, December that that just week lead up to Christmas seems seems the right time for that. You've mentioned Vinicius Junior's injured uh, injury as well, set to be out for about uh, ten weeks. Uh, Paul, you wanted to mention English managers in Asian World Cup qualifying matches.
2: Yeah, well, I wanted to give a, a special mention to Ashley Westwood, who has taken on possibly the most daunting job in the history of football. So he, um, you might remember Ashley Westwood. He was uh, at Sheffield Wednesday for a while, and he played for almost everyone. He's become a very decent coach, coached in India. He took on the Afghanistan men's national job about eight days before their game against Qatar, flew into Kabul, handshakes, um, and I don't know whether he was aware that 19 of their senior players had gone on strike, led by the captain, against the Federation. So 19 of their players are refusing to play because they believe the Federation president is corrupt. So he's come into a team with no players eight days before they played Qatar Uh, and had to pick an entirely new domestic squad, pretty much. And it went about as well as you can imagine. They lost 8-1 to Qatar, and it could have been quite a few more. But um, I sort of thought he deserves a mention for taking that job on. Afghanistan, national job with eight days' notice is... um, that, that is, even by my standards, that's is, that is pretty crazy. Uh,
1: you've ruled yourself out, have you? You've ruled yourself out
2: <laughs> Yeah, they called right? me first. Yeah. Also, I had to give a little mention to uh, Stephen Constantine, who actually, his Pakistan side lost 4-0 to Saudi Arabia, but it's the first time they've ever actually got this far, Pakistan. Uh, and Constantine's done an amazing job coming in. He's actually, I think, the English manager who's coached the most national teams, but they're all crazy jobs. He's coached Nepal, he's coached Malawi, he's coached Sudan, you name it he's coached these kind of weird uh, national jobs and he's actually come in and did a great job. They look very good actually against Saudi Arabia. They, they conceded two goals in the 90th uh, 90 plus minutes but Pakistan really looking, looking very good.
1: Uh, Luke says check out this rabbit hole I fell down. I don't know Paul if you're aware of the Malaysian footballer called Dion Johan Chai Cools. Cools was born in Sarawak to a Belgian father, Hans Kools, and a Malaysian-Chinese mother. They relocated to Belgium more than 20 years ago. Uh, he's named uh, by his parents after Johan Cruyff and Dion Dublin. So <laughs> 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 this is great. Great to get one of the legendary players of the game, and a target man is a sort of a really a sort of a nice mix to have. So you could be named. I, I thought
0: you were <laughs> going to say great to have a player named after one of the legendary figures of the game and Johan Cruyff. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that's what I should have said. You're absolutely right. Uh, let's finish on
1: this email from Ben, who says on the theme of Football Weekly and medical procedures, I had tickets to your Manchester gig. I was shocked to be woken up on the morning by my wife who'd gone into early labour. While I couldn't listen to the pod while my wife was giving birth, my mind couldn't help but wonder what the will-unwin anecdote was or what John Bruin would have made of our midwife putting on Heart FM when we asked for some music. My amazing wife Susie gave birth to our beautiful daughter Beatrice Anderson, who was born at 4.52pm on the 15th of November, about 500 yards from the Royal Northern College of Music. And a stone's throw from Big Hands... Where I hope Barry burns someone else's t shirt. To make up for it, I was hoping some classic Barry warm wishes. I mean, 10 to 5,
0: he could have made it, couldn't he? Yeah, easily. Uh, We didn't end up in big hands this time. Uh, We went, it was a nice pub called Salutation, Hmm. where we hobnobbed with uh, the front man and the bass player from the the Cortiners, who were, well, I think Liam, the Singer is is and songwriter is a big football weekly fan. Yes, hello Liam. This is mainly for you to say congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Not you name
1: dropping uh, about
0: the Cortinas. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest, I I, I actually saw the Cortinas many, many years ago in a at a London I think University of London Student Union gig. Um so they have gone on to bigger and better things you're still not welcoming Beatrice <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, this is about Beatrice uh, welcome to the world mm.
1: have a great time uh, and uh, yeah that'll do for today's pod thank you Paul thank you thanks Baz thank you cheers Mark thank you Mark uh, we'll see you in Dublin tonight Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray our executive producer is Danielle Stevens.